Hello and welcome to Tipsy Tolstoy, Russian literature for the inebriated. I'm Matt Garasimovich, resident PhD student. And I'm Cameron Lalana, unemployed. This is a podcast not necessarily about Tolstoy. Why do we name it that? Alliteration. Uh, this is a podcast where me and my good pal Cameron get to explore different areas of Russian lit that we've, you know, read in class or that we've wanted to read for a while. Uh, today we're talking about The Nose by Gogol, probably one of my favorite and most ridiculous stories I've ever read in my entire life. We will refrain from covering Gogol's life, although we may do that at some point in the future. Uh, this was written in 1836 in Imperial Russia. So uh, as a general overview, if you are not familiar with Russian history, this is prior to the Russian Revolution during the time of the Tsars. I do not know exactly who was ruling in 1836, uh, but... Tsarist Russia was a very stratified society, uh, officially so, and that's going to be a, a fairly big feature of the characters in the nose when we get into it. It's Nicholas I, by the way. I looked it up. <laughs> <laughs> you should have just led with Nicholas I and really impressed everyone with your just on-command knowledge of czars in different eras. No, I, I won't take that. I won't take that. I haven't <laughs> earned it. <laughs> <laughs> How do you earn it? Uh, probably by finishing my PhD on time, but well. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, at that point, at that point, you get the you get the right to lie about where you learn something. Yeah, that's what I'm looking forward to. <laughs> um, also, looking forward to not really having to be right and people just thinking I might be. Well, then you just delve into some obscure literature until you find your point. Well, that's what we're doing here today. So exactly, that's the fun. First impressions, how'd you, what'd you think? How'd it make you feel? We haven't talked about any of this prior to the podcast, so... We have not. I'm genuinely curious, because I know you're not a 19th century kind of guy. Not that I necessarily am either, but, you know. <laughs> no, I, I am very much not a 19th century guy. I have, in the past, rejected reading a lot of literature from this era because I cannot stand reading it. Um, <laughs> uh, this is a great piece of, of surrealist short fiction. I really enjoyed it at a fun time, even outside of analyzing it for deeper connotations. It's just it's just fun. It's like reading uh, Kafka, but not as soul-crushingly depressing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. How did you come away from it? Um, for me, it is... I, and I don't know that it is. this is necessarily the case. I thought it was, in world literature, probably one of the first instances of magical realism, or at least a precursor to magical realism. I don't know a ton about the genre, so I don't know if I can definitively say this is it. Um mm. But it is an intensely realistic story about a man who loses his nose. So it, it has just the <laughs> the real the the real aspects of Russian society in 1836. But it's just about a guy who loses his nose, which is just like the most absurd thing. <laughs> <laughs> in in a genre full of um, writing about Petersburg. Uh, either as the greatest city that Russia has or as just a trash pit. <laughs> Gogol found the third way, uh, and the third way is uh, completely absurd. Do you want to give a, a short synopsis about what 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 happened? What is the nose? Yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll go in a little bit, then I'll, I'll probably throw this to you in a little bit, since uh, yeah. I'm sure it'd be better than just talking this all the way through. Uh, the story opens up with uh, Ivan Yakovlevich, who is a barber who lives on Vosnesensky Avenue, his surname is unknown, uh, who one morning wakes up to discover that in his hot bread, 
the nose of one of his clients is located. And he recognizes the nose of his client quite immediately because he uh, uses noses as a to hold on to as he shaves them. Now, uh, you, his wife. Oh, yeah. You hate that to find someone else's <laughs> nose in your hot bread in the morning. I will. Yes. So that's something that we can relate to even probably mm -hmm. as like a modern audience. Like you're digging into your bread. The last thing you want to find is your client's nose. Absolutely. I don't mm -hmm. want anything to do with my clients, much no. less their noses at, <laughs> at breakfast time. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So his his wife gets really angry at, at him, understandably. Uh, and this is some... You know, if you find it your husband Sweeney Todd, I wouldn't be pleased either. No. no. Uh, so she uh, tells him to get rid of it. So he does. And while walking along the streets of Petersburg, he eventually finds his way to, I think it's St. Andrew's, excuse me, St. Isaac's Bridge and throws the no nose into the River Neva before a police uh, sergeant comes up to him. And then at this point, his story fades into the mist. And we join a much more important citizen, collegiate assessor Kovolyov. And I will let Matt take it from here. Yeah, so collegiate assessor Kovalyov is is the uh, backbone of the story. He is the one who has lost his nose, uh, and we, we kind of follow him through the rest of the story trying to figure out what happens. And it starts kind of with a, a description about who he is, what his rank is, and for those who are unfamiliar with imperial russian ranks they are the most important thing uh, to everybody at this time the higher your rank the more important you are and this was brought on by peter the great in his attempt to kind of reform russia to westernize russia and what's most important about it is that if you get to a high enough rank you can become hereditary nobility which is that's i mean that's pretty sweet uh, that's a pretty good deal for yeah. civil service. That is, you you don't have to do military service. That was um, that's part of part of what's new. Right. It was there was an equation between like all these ranks. There was an, there's like civil ranks, army ranks, navy ranks, court ranks, even clergy ranks, and they're all like on a one to fourteen scale, more or less. Yeah, uh, but but Kovalyov, he is the rank of collegiate assessor, but he, he makes it pretty clear that he does not want to be called <laughs> collegiate assessor. He wants to be the uh the, the military rank major uh because he i i'm pretty sure he he was in the military i i, I don't um, know if he's in the military but he certainly that's his equivalent rank yeah i i i don't know if it's actually clear whether or not mm. he was now that i read the passage where it it mentions that he likes going by major does not clarify so he definitely he might have yeah, it, all it says is that he was a Caucasian collegiate assessor. It's really not important. Really, it just, to me, it says a lot about his, um, <laughs> who he is as a person. <laughs> yeah. He's somebody who likes to charm people. He wants you to know that he's a major, and yeah. he thinks that that's an impressive rank. And it, it like, kind of is. It's, right. it's pretty good. It's not the best, as we'll see in the story, as he's kind of, <laughs> as, as he's going through the Petersburg <laughs> streets trying to, uh, uh, find his nose so he he covers himself up with a handkerchief and he's he, he's walking around I, I will say just to break in real quickly uh yeah. going by major i think as a civil servant in his status is the moral equivalent to uh those people who are married to someone in the military and uh, demand that you uh, address them by their so's rank yeah uh, it could be could be uh, you know anybody does that no do that? but i 
<laughs> I, I, okay, I'll, I'll walk that one back. I don't know if anyone actually does that, but I, I've seen a lot of people making fun of the people that do that. So I'm hoping that at the source of that, there is a real person and not just uh, like some sort of uh, Baudrillardian self-replicating <laughs> <laughs> force that is where the meme has overtaken any semblance of reality. Mm-hmm. No, we'll we'll take it as fact because that sounds that sounds relevant. So the the first place he runs into his nose is where Kovyov is. He he's he's going to get pastries, right? I think um, he he's like trying to he's walking around the city, hiding his nose from everyone. Yeah, uh, and he ends up seeing him. I think he's just left a coffee house. Got you. Yeah, but it's just like happenstance, you know. Right. Um. And and he sees his own nose, and he he notices he notices that uh, the, the nose is wearing the uniform of somebody who I think is is three ranks higher than him. He's yes. a, he's a state counselor, which is a fifth rank, so that's that's pretty high. That is the rank at which you are granted hereditary nobility um, in the Russian Empire. So uh, it it prevents him from being able to interact with the nose throughout the story, basically. Is kind of the gist of it. He runs into it at the coffee house. He runs into the nose at church, um, and the whole story just traces him trying to get people to believe that he has, in fact, lost his nose. <laughs> um, I think the, the first passage I really want to focus on is probably the one at at church because that's really where they mm. st- start to talk. Yeah, I don't know how you felt about that one. I thought it was I thought it was pretty funny. I think it's really uh, instructive for both his character and the major themes of the story. Yeah, I have I have a passage um, basically that sums it up. As, as he's trying to hype himself up to go talk to his his nose, uh, so so Kavayov he's thinking to himself. He says it's clear from everything, from his uniform, from his hat. That he's a state counselor. I'm damned if I know how to do it, how to talk to him. Um, and this leads to him being just an absolute idiot trying trying to talk to him. Um, and he goes through, he basically just bumbles through a, a whole introduction. He lists everybody in society that he knows as an acquaintance. Uh, and the nose is like, what are, you, what are you talking about? And he, he finally says, I mean, you're my own nose. And the nose looks at him, frowns, and he says, you're mistaken, sir. I'm, I'm myself. And the nose says back to him, I, I see, sir, from the buttons of your uniform that you are serving in a different department. And the <laughs> just walks away from him. And Kovalyov is just absolutely, absolutely just doesn't know what to do with himself in the church. <laughs> and he immediately tries to hit on the girl next to him mm-hmm. after being, <laughs> after not knowing what to do until he remembers he does not have a nose. Yeah. And freaks out so much that he needs to leave. Yeah. That, that goes to one of my favorite like themes of the story or potential readings of it, which maybe we can get to at the end. Yeah. Um, but that's an interesting one to hold on to and come back to. Right. Um, so after the church, he goes to, where does he go? He goes, he tries to see the police commissioner, uh, and that doesn't, that doesn't work out for him. Police commissioner's not home. Uh, so he goes to the newspaper office Mm -hmm. and it, it doesn't, that also doesn't work out for him, uh, because, Mm. oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. As he tries to put in an advertisement for his own nose. Which, as you've said, doesn't work out for a variety of reasons. Yeah, he yeah the the person that's taking his like advertisement thinks that uh, he's talking about somebody that has has robbed him of a sum of money, uh, Mister Nozov, 
Um, so he basically just <laughs> adds an OV and makes it a, a Russian name. It, it shows really a breakdown of communication between ranks of society, which the whole of it is, you know, mm. that's kind of the main point. And this is probably, the, to me, the funniest part of it. Yeah, uh, of course, I think followed by one of the funniest parts in the uh, whole short story when uh, Kovalyov reveals to this guy that he does not have a nose. And he takes off his handkerchief and the guy's like, that sucks. Uh, do you want some snuff? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, that was, yeah, that made me actually laugh out loud when I read it the first time, probably. So, obviously, he doesn't he doesn't do well at the newspaper office. Uh, he goes from the newspaper office. Where does he even? Uh, so, at this point, Major, as he prefers to go by, Kovalyov, gets home and thinks back on his nose and, and thinks how weird this is and decides that uh, Mrs. Potochin, who is the mother of a girl who he's flirting with but is refusing to marry, must have done this to him. And he believes, quote, to get her revenge, the staff officer's wife must have hired some witches to spirit it away. And this was the only way his nose could possibly have been cut off. No one had visited him in his flat. His barber, Ivan Yakovlevich, had shaved him only last Wednesday, and the rest of the day, and the whole Thursday, his nose had been intact. So, here, referring back to your earlier point about Russian, his his obsession with uh, the ranks in society, uh, Mrs. Podtochin isn't Mrs. Podtochin, she's the staff officer's wife. And while he's thinking about this, he's interrupted by the police sergeant from the beginning of the story, who comes in to return his nose. Uh... <laughs> who, uh, although the nose was about to flee to Riga in a stagecoach, the, the police sergeant fortunately had his spectacles, and although he initially mistook it, the nose for a gentleman, uh, came to realize that it was only a nose, and took, uh, uh, took hold of it and brought it back to Kovalyov. And, and Kovalyov's overjoyed. Uh, he pays the guy a bribe, an uh, old Russian, a nose, which might be related to a point about the story as a whole, uh, pays the pays the sergeant a bribe to believe, I guess, and is just happy. And he call that's the point at which he calls the doctor to reattach his nose. At which point, Matt, yeah, the doctor says, "I can't put that nose back on your face," um, <laughs> and and that's basically it's it's a page and a half of uh, the major trying to convince the doctor to do it. Uh, the doctor saying, "No, it'll only make it worse." Uh, but maybe put it in a in a bottle of vinegar. Maybe that would help preserve your nose. <clears throat> and the the major really doesn't like that. And I, I I can understand why. I wouldn't I wouldn't like that answer either. Probably. Uh, well, the doctor also suggests that the major sells him the doctor his nose. And I also would not like my doctor offering to buy my nose. Yeah, that's true. You don't. Yeah, yeah. That's. Yeah, I wouldn't. If, I wouldn't want that too much either. I, would, I don't think into the doctor's office and he started like feeling my hands and was like this is a good hand how much do you want for it i'd be very very concerned yeah but how much would you say uh i don't know it's my if it was my left hand like probably at least 30 dollars mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right hand definitely important at least 500 500 wow yeah that's a big jump. i know it's a it could cover almost half of my rent so that would be really <laughs> really cool pretty nice almost half yeah for half your half your hands yeah <laughs> <laughs> seems like a fair trade yeah more or less yeah <laughs> um but he, he doesn't sell his nose 
fortunately or unfortunately, it would have been a little funny. He he instead he writes a letter to Mrs. Potochin saying, "How could you do this? How could you have my nose cut off just because I didn't want to marry your daughter and flirted with her a lot?" And she writes back and says, "What are you talking about?" Um, if you mean by that that I wish to put your noise out of joint, that is, to give you a formal refusal, uh, no. That's, that's, no. I wanted, she wanted him to marry her daughter all along. Um, so we, we can safely rule her out. Not enough incentive or means to slice off this man's entire nose, I don't think. A guilty person could never write that letter, as Kovaldioff reasons. Sure, sure. Also, that's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so at, at this point, I guess everybody in Petersburg has figured out that he has lost his nose, and there is basically the rest of uh, part two is people kind of going around various parts of St. Petersburg trying to see the nose, uh, which is probably what I would do, too. Um, yeah, that would be absolutely ridiculous. I mean, we lived in St. Petersburg, and if we had heard we that today, we would still have, we would have taken time out of our very busy days of very busy. really important things uh, to go look for that. Probably, probably. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think we're both thinking about what we were doing that day, and depending, you know, you know, yeah. Uh, so you want to go through part three? That's the last yeah. part. It's pretty short. So while the world is out there looking for the nose, some are indignant at as to how these stories could gain such currency in their enlightened century. With enough time, Kovalyov one day wakes up, and uh, on the seventh of April, he happens to glance at the nose and the nose at the mirror and realize his nose is back. And after much exclaiming and calling in his surf to make sure that he still has it. He's got his nose back. It's just on. It's reappeared. And he goes immediately to get a shave from Ivan Yakovlevich, with whom we started the story. Ivan Yakovlevich is also shocked that the nose is back. <laughs> and he gives uh, Kovalyov the perhaps gentlest shave of his life. <laughs> Doesn't even grab him by the nose. As he normally would. And at that point, Kovalyov becomes as he was before, and he, quote, as though absolutely nothing had happened, his nose stayed in the middle of his face and shows no and showed no signs of wandering off. After that, he was in perpetual high spirits, always smiling, chasing all the pretty girls, and, on one occasion, even stopping at a small shop in the Gostini Dvor to buy a ribbon for some medal. No one knows why, as he did not belong to any order of knighthood. <laughs> And at that point, the very end of the story, you have uh, the author, potentially Dostoevsky, but maybe just the vague author of the story, writing to you, the reader, um, about the strangeness of the story and whether or not it actually could have happened. The, the author who? Uh, I'm, I'm not certain. At the very end, it's directed. It's directed at you, the reader, and it's like you know, I don't, I don't know if this could have happened or not. I don't know if it's supposed to be Google or merely just gotcha. a vague so you said Dostoevsky and I was like wait a minute oh, yeah, just, uh, <laughs> sorry I meant to Google <laughs> you can see though you can see the wine getting to me yeah 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 no I um I, this is my second time reading the nose and I didn't, never actually thought about how long he had been 
without his nose. Mm. And it's about two weeks. You kind of lose the sense of it throughout the throughout the narrative. I kind of thought, like, right. you know, this is a couple of days, maybe. This is not that bad, but two weeks without a nose, that's, uh, that's pretty significant. That's pretty important. Yeah. So that's the nose. That's, right. um, that's the long summary of it. That is what happened. But what does it mean? What does it mean? What Cameron, does it mean? What do you mean? think it means? What, okay. <laughs> so this is the part where I'm, I was walking, reading this and like looking desperately for themes. Uh, yep. Because I'm about to go up against a PhD candidate <laughs> in, in <laughs> literature to talk about themes. Um, in short, uh, we can talk about like in longer form later. I mostly kept reading this as basically a Gogol making fun of a, a appearance obsessed Petersburg, especially revolving around the idea of rank in society mm-hmm. and the way. And I, I kind of read losing nose as as almost a metaphor for losing face. Uh, mm-hmm. And how much that, despite Kovalyov's rank, affects his, his standing in day-to-day life and that he is reduced to going to Kazan Cathedral arguing with his own nose that uh, he knows, you know, X and Y person in society and that's why his nose should be back on his face. And, like, I guess kind of addressing the thinness of, of like, how much this rank actually means when you take away some basic things. Yeah. How did you read it? Yeah. No, I mean that's. I think that's basically the gist of it. That's probably the ma- the majority reading the main mm. takeaway is, and not even just the differences in ranks, but also just the complete breakdown of communication between people who are not the same ranks. And Major Kovalyov is is interesting because he like he totally brings us on himself in in different ways. I, I can't remember exactly where in the story, but I remember he says that uh, in, in the theater, I think he was saying that he thinks that jokes and attacks about people that are lower ranks than him are pretty funny, but anything at his rank mm. or above, the government probably shouldn't allow that. They should censor it. Um, <laughs> so he is a victim of the system that he's absolutely trying to uphold throughout the entire story. Right. And so it's funny trying to see him kind of reconcile with that because... Uh, mm. It really it doesn't go well uh, for him. Yeah, at all. Which I think, if you're going with that reading, you could relate it back to that in in Kazan Cathedral, which you bookmarked earlier uh, or put a flag in earlier. Mm-hmm. When he is finished talking to his nose, he sees uh, a young woman who he tries to hit on in church, mm-hmm. and then remembers that he doesn't have a nose, and that's the right. only thing that holds him back that's from it. trying to like just. To start to start to womanize in the middle of an actual, <laughs> in the middle of one of the biggest cathedrals in Petersburg, which is an achievement because there are a lot of big cathedrals in Petersburg. Yes, yes. I, so I think that brings me to like the secondary reading that I, well, it's not maybe secondary in terms of adherence to it, but it's a reading that we learned about when I was taking a Russian literature class that having read it again, there's definitely more hints at it. You probably saw this like looking around, mm. but the idea of Major Kovalyov having a, like a castration complex, right? Like the nose is a metaphor for his penis, and that's that's one of the major problems for him because he is somebody who likes to hit on women, and he can't, he can't, he can't flirt with the the other lady's daughter. He can't hit on the the, the woman in church. Um, even being called major doesn't even really matter too much to him anymore because he. You know, there was that part where they were explaining why he likes to say major, and it was because he wants women to think that 
he you know was in the military that he's not just a civil servant that he's like you know he's masculine and it fundamentally takes away a large portion probably the only real characteristic that he's assigned throughout the story right there's nothing more specific about this character than that he's he's a collegiate assessor that uh, that is his life his rank is everything i think at some point i don't remember exactly what page this was on in, in my copy but it says uh that Major Kolvolyov was not averse to marriage, as long as his bride happened to be worth 200,000 rubles. Yeah. I mean, and, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's 200,000 so, rubles, and that's fine. Yeah, that's who he is. Yeah. So I, I, I can definitely <laughs> see that. I've, I've seen, I saw in other readings of it, uh, in, in equa- or equating his nose to both uh, his penis and also toxic masculinity, which yeah. I, I thought... Toxic masculinity, the nose being a metaphor for that is an interesting reading. Uh, but given that Gogol wrote this in like 1836, I do not think that was on his mind. Uh, <laughs> Probably not in the way we understand it today. No, no, not really. Yeah. Exactly. But it, it it does, yeah. It I mean, it, it still, it does cut to who he is as like a man and his position in society. Right. Uh, which is, I think that's a really interesting reading. I think there is enough evidence to say that is a legitimate reading of it. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think Gogol was really, really clever, and that's really what he was known for in, like, literature society is for his satires and for just being a funny guy. And it's it really comes through in this. This is probably... I, I don't know. I've read a lot of stuff by Gogol, but this is probably one of the ones that's just, like, it's, it's short, it's compact, it's mm-hmm. funny all the way through. Yeah. I, I've not read as much Gogol, I assume, but of, of the... Of of Gogol's pieces I have read, this is definitely uh, compelling in the sense that it's it's really funny the whole way through. Mm-hmm. As as compared to a little, <laughs> you find a lot of condemnation implicitly in his other work, which is here, but it's very funny. Yeah, I think he's able to go through just like a lot of parts of Russian society really quickly. It's not just he's talking to other people of high rank. Like I mean, he's going through you know, the newspaper office, he's, you know, writing letters, he's going through a a lot of different characters that Gogol is able to really kind of characterize very very quickly in the the page and a half, maybe, or two pages that's dedicated to each of them. Right. Uh, And and yeah, I mean, the people, it's not really that in depth, it's largely a caricature of them, but it's, it's fun. Yeah. I mean, you get to see for each of them, you know, with Ivan uh, Yakovlevich, you get to see his (laughs) <laughs> his home life of the moment something weird like finding a nose in his bread happens which mm-hmm. his wife immediately begins to accuse him of uh, of like assault assaulting his customers and oh yeah that's i mean that's where it starts it starts yeah. with the barber his wife is ready to turn him into the, into the police <laughs> within like the first page this guy like yeah. he can't even have coffee and bread for breakfast his wife makes him choose one of the two um so, yeah, you you get immediate. Uh, it's it's funny from from the very beginning. Yeah, it also has one of my favorite lines from the whole piece, which is um, Ivan Yakovlevich, like any honest Russian working man, was a terrible drunkard. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> and although he spent all day shaving other people's beards, he never touched his own. Uh, <laughs> I just I just love those two sentences. It's one of my favorite parts. But you know, every time you meet someone, they become. I get representative of something bigger. The police officer won't go away until um, 
Kovalev bribes him. Yeah. Uh, the clerk at the the newspaper is afraid of of libel, so he, he will not publish Kovalev's advertisement because he's afraid that the censors are going to get angry at them <laughs> and think it's a metaphor for something else. You know, even even like I don't know the doctor. I mean, maybe the doctor you could read is the only principled character that the whole thing who refuses to do something that he could do but thinks it's bad for Kovalev. Uh, still trying to buy his nose, which not as weird, not as as outright funny as the rest, but still. See, I don't know. I don't think the doctor really principled. I don't know. I think he is lazy, and <laughs> like, well, because the doctor he lies to him. He says, "I could put on your nose, but trust me, it would be worse." <laughs> I don't know what he means by that, but I don't yeah. know how he was planning to reattach this man's nose, and I don't know that I have that much faith in him, you know? That's fair. I mean, I think the level of which medical professions were valued at this time yeah. far exceeded their ability to actually do things, but that didn't really stop a lot of them. Um, I think if he were to do it, it would be horrifying. It would be a really bad time. Yeah, I think the extent of his medical expertise is probably to dip something in, in vinegar. Uh, well, this is Russia, so it's rubbing vodka on it. Could be, yeah. I mean, it, they're in Petersburg, so maybe it's a little bit better. But certainly, I don't know that they're at um, like nose surgery <laughs> yet. <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, something else that I I have heard and have found, it's not necessarily a reading of it, but it's more mm. of a genre or narrative topic, and it's something that I hate when writers do now. But it's a little different reading something that was written so long ago. That is good to see something similar employed would be interesting, I think. Right. Which is, I, I said at the beginning that this could be an example of an early work of magical realism. And, and it is very like realist all the way through. But there is a case that could be made that none of it actually happened. That it was all a dream. Every single part, it, it fades into this fog. Um, right. And Gogol could have just not not written that but that's included for a reason and it's worth kind of looking into because it doesn't need it narratives move on their own whether you say that a, a fog descended or everything's shrouded in fog mm. uh, and we don't know what happens next uh it it feels like the narrative is kind of moved in in that way right i don't know if you thought about that or, or noticed that that was something that i've like yeah just heard before i don't I hadn't thought about that previously, but if I wanted to connect it to what I my my reading, or at least what I took away from it, uh, like at the end of the story, nothing changes, right? He, mm-hmm. Kovalev learns absolutely nothing. Not yep. entirely dissimilar to how in a dream you walk away, you wake up, and, and your life is exactly the same as it was before, regardless of any lesson you might have learned in that dream. Yeah, that's absolutely part of it. I feel like um, like for something so traumatic and out of the ordinary, you would think that the character, the main character, is going to learn some sort of lesson. I'm going to be a better person. I'm going to do whatever. I don't know. Um, and the major learns none of that. Yeah. Uh, it's just, it's 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 completely unchanged, like you said. And in fact, he, he meets uh, Mrs. Platochin, uh and, and her daughter, who he has been mm-hmm. flirting with for some period of time. And he talks to them for a while. Then, like, huffs his snuff and says, that'll teach you both, you old hens. I'm not going to marry your daughter, simply par more as they say if you don't mind and then walks off yeah and he's like maybe a bigger dick now that he's got his nose back yeah he no he absolutely is i think that's that's the only thing that made him an interesting character th- throughout it is that he didn't have his nose 
so if he, you know, if he had it the whole time, it probably wouldn't have been that interesting of a story. You really wouldn't have been. I mean, I was like rooting for him to at least like find it. I was like, all right, how yeah. much does this guy have to endure before he can just get his nose back and stop running into it at bakeries dressed up in the fifth rank as nobility? But then at the end, you're like, ah, oh, God, he's just kind of sucks. <laughs> Which I maybe it leads into either the idea of it's a dream relating to the lack of impact it has on his life as a whole or just you know even if you take away the rank of these people who are so obsessed with it it doesn't change anything about them i i did have a question for you how do you read the very end the last page you do have the author of this piece address you directly oh yeah Uh, how how do you read that how do you come away from that um I don't know. This is very, to me, this is very characteristic of Gogol. If you read like Dead Souls, which is his probably his main work, what he's known for, or his his longer work that he's known for, I guess. Um, he does this a lot. This is a very Gogol sort of thing to just break and kind of address the reader in a way that's pretty funny. I, I don't know how it, I think it, it, it fits his genre. It fits his style of writing. It's just a very stylistically it's a very Gogol thing to do i don't know that you see that in a lot of writing at this time Mm. i like i said i'm not a 19th century specialist so i don't know that i can say that but definitely from my own experience and what i've read that this is Gogol is definitely the funniest writer at the time and this is definitely something that is characteristic of his work and it's, it's present at the end of it it's i don't know what do you think of it i i didn't know initially what do you think of it i mean like you said it's deeply funny uh, he in the halfway through the the paragraph at the end he starts asking questions like how did the nose disappear and how did it turn <laughs> up in yvonne's bread and then he's like i don't understand it not at all uh but the strangest most incredible thing is that authors should just write about such things <laughs> thus that i confess is beyond my comprehension and he ends it on, on i think this is one of my favorite story endings i've ever read uh, however when all is said and done one can concede this point or the other, and perhaps you can even find... Well, then you won't find much that isn't on the absurd side, will you? And <laughs> I, first of all, it's really cheeky and very funny. Yeah. I, After some thought, I kind of read it as almost, I don't know, a, like not a note to the censors, but a note which is to the reader... In, in such a way that he can make a point that gets past the censors. Like, in the original version of the story, uh, something, if you do not know at this time, censors were, uh, in Russia, very prevalent for anything that was printed. Um, yeah, everything that was printed was read first. Yeah. So, in, in earlier versions, some places in the story, Kazan Cathedral and one other, I think real, I think it's a coffee shop or, or another type of shop, they had to be censored because they were not, the censors were not down with that, so that it had to be changed to, like, a general market or arcade. I kind of read that as him, just a general statement that our the society which I am writing about is a bit absurd. You know, nothing yeah. you'll find isn't on the absurd side, but since he's ostensibly writing about the story, it's it's not something that they might necessarily, the censors would necessarily jump on. No, that's a good point. I mean, that that makes a lot of sense. He really, I think, like I said, magical realism really does describe a lot of what this is because he's able to see the absurd and the grotesque really in very ordinary events right uh the uh, yeah like the craziness of the story is the fact that he (laughs) is talking to his own nose but what's so ridiculous is that he can't even talk to his own nose because of the rank difference 
and yeah, so I mean, that that makes a lot of sense. I think it's interesting you brought up the sensors because this is what I thought when I read Google at first too. I was like, Google is radical. He really wants to go against the grain and look at society from a different point of view. Right. And what I did not realize was that Google really actually was fairly conservative mm. uh, in his political leanings. And even in his his later works, he 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 became like... Like, people didn't like him after he <laughs> wrote some of his essays. Like, he was really in favor of of the monarchy and of the Orthodox Church and of a lot of things that people wanted to reform or just outright get rid of. And so I, I thought it, it was interesting that um, not only this work, but he has a lot of other works that people thought were just, like, really radical, but he mm. himself did not read them that way or didn't necessarily intend them to be read that way. Uh, I just thought it was an interesting little point. Mm, right. I mean, that might be a more interesting point about Russia as a whole, that uh, at that time, <laughs> even relatively conservative thinkers were kind of like pushing back upon maybe the censors upon them specifically in such a way that they might have just been thinking, oh, this is a little bit silly, uh, but other people who were significantly more against the system read as much more radical than was actually intended yeah, he he really was. He really did support the system in general. I think he just did, he. I mean, obviously, he saw aspects of it that were wrong and did want to see some level of reform. But he wasn't like, uh, let's tear it all down, start over again, kind of radical. Right. I when I was I was talking to my friend a while ago, and I was like conveying to him this old Russian meme about like how different authors see Petersburg and like a goal. It's like this big, you know, like it looks like Mordor and. You know, Pushkin sees this flowery paradise and Dostoevsky sees a trash can. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think it's interesting that if we were to like a lot of Russian authors write about Russia in a way that is like like almost like they are kind of disgusted by their society in a way that they're like still really nationalistic, but are, are like very critical of it in a way that if you were to read that in, I think, American literature, almost always you'd see someone writing that from like the fringes of society of like i don't know some like far right-wing literature about tearing society down and all these things that disgust them but this is not that far out of the mainstream in in russian literature in various periods no it, re it really wasn't i mean he was he was praised by literary critics in russia for a lot of his works kind of until the end when he came out as being more conservative and having those views more more explicitly in his writings i mean they were i'm pretty sure they were they were like essays so it was like here is what i here's what i think Hmm. It's it's a different point of view. It's still, it's it's still incredibly culturally relevant, especially his views on Petersburg and his relation to other writers. I mean, Gogol was one of the biggest influences in Russian literature going forward from this period, uh, especially on Dostoevsky. And you mentioned Kafka earlier, who also cited Gogol as one of his major influences. Hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think I don't have anything more to say about that. I think it was a great place to kind of wrap it up. Yeah, I'm I'm good with that. The music used in this episode was Soviet March by Toasted Tomatoes. You can find more of their stuff on toastedtomatoes.bandcamp.com and also on YouTube under the same username. If you enjoyed the episode, well, first of all, that makes us happy. But also, grad school doesn't pay very well, and neither does unemployment. So if you happen to have a few dollars to spare, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash tipsytolstoy. 
It'll help us buy the books we'll be reading in the future. Yeah, thank you for listening to Tipsy Tolstoy, Russian literature for the inebriated. Uh, I'm Matt Garasimovich. I'm Cameron Lalana. And Matt, before we go, I've got one last question for you. Yes. One to Yeltsin, how drunk are you? Um, I'm really only a two right now, I gotta say. Oof, all right, you gotta catch up. I'm at yeah. easily a Gorbachev. <laughs> birthmark and all yeah, I've been dragging on as we're talking <laughs> good good okay well, well you'll hear from us again next week